These are discussions surrounding the property and casualty insurance marketplace and specifically the challenges and hurdles that insurers, insureds, brokers, and agents are facing and what we need to do to stay ahead. Let's get into it. Hey folks, and welcome back to the Risk Channels Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Zettel. Uh, This week, we're going to be discussing a little bit about directors and officers' liability coverage, specifically how it pertains to privately held corporations. Very often, the D&O coverage is viewed as a coverage for publicly traded companies and not seeing, or, or you know, many individuals not seeing the need for it on the privately held side. However, um, it's something that should be thought about or really considered um, when looking at your coverage portfolio. And for that reason, I think a good place to start would be, well, why should private companies consider directors and officers liability? Um, and I think a good place to start there, Matt, would be well, obviously, a owner or an officer of a company's um, direct personal wealth is attached to the uh, entity. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think that's the strongest argument for why this coverage would be necessary on a private level for a smaller or medium-sized entity. I mean, we have situations where uh, bankruptcy proceedings occur and lenders and creditors look to try to attach I mean, their uh, restitution rights to the personal assets of the owners of those businesses. We have situations where businesses are acquired and acquisitions occur and, and mergers occur and employees are paid out that are leaving that uh, entity during the transitionary merging period come to find out that um, post-merger, uh, you know, the private shares they held in the company were actually or should have been valued at much higher uh, um, payouts. So then they sue those directors during the, uh, the course of that merger and say, hey, I was paid out a million dollars based on the private share valuation pre-merger. Post-merger, that valuation should have been $5 million. So these are, I mean, that you don't need to be a publicly uh, traded company to have that happen. There's plenty of private merger activity that occurs day to day. You know, I, I'm yep. sorry, not to not to interrupt, no, but no, you know, I, I think also just given the simple fact that the allegation of managerial errors and omissions in general, I, all it takes is an allegation for that claim to be brought. Not necessarily something of fact, but now you're incurring defense costs, right? And the one thing about the DNO coverage is that the defense costs erode the limit, which is a good thing to side note or sidebar. Mm-hmm. But at the same time. Very much in this legal landscape, the, the allegations will trigger coverage, um, or, or at least the duty to defend. Which, well, yeah, a regulatory w- investigation, for example, would I mean you would be you would incur regulatory costs, and some of these policies um, would actually provide payment for those regulatory costs, and those, those costs aren't very, uh, aren't small in nature. They can be yeah. very, very, very um, extravagant and exponential. And the other thing to note about the DNO coverage line of business is because so many carriers are out there writing this line of business, there's much room uh, or large room for negotiation in terms of uh, the broadening the scope of coverage, um, doing away with certain policy exclusions that exist within the coverage form. It's a much more coverage intensive 
line of business where negotiation, there's there's a large room for negotiation amongst the insuring parties uh, and the business owners themselves, unlike other lines of business. Yeah. You know, in just a quick stat. Chubb did a survey um, actually back in 2006, but it was again utilized in, in recent articles where their um, private company risk management management survey identified that more than a quarter, a quarter of all small companies, privately held entities, okay, reported experiencing a claim on the DNO side within the last three years, of which the average settlement or the average claim amount was $387,000. That is a significant amount of money for any privately held company to have to shell out to defend themselves, all right, in in a simple allegation. Now, the one thing I do want to just note and, and, and kind of hedge back towards is earlier we were talking about the duty to defend and Again, a lot of DNO companies do not have an explicit duty to defend clause in the policy. However, um, you know these coverages, specifically the DNO, um, very very customizable. Mm-hmm. Something that you can very easily negotiate the terms, the conditions of, and go back and forth with the underwriter to kind of tweak as best as possible, and they will work with you on that. And another interesting thing to note about the DNO line of coverage has to do with uh, the frequency of the type of claims and why it's a very, very, I mean, you, you see these types of claims very often is, aside from other coverage lines, there's a much more transparent damage associated with the type of loss. So, for example, in a general liability coverage scenario, a guy falls off a ladder, he injures his back, it's uh, somewhat difficult to... Um, uh, allocate a dollar figure to his pain and suffering, his physical pain and suffering. Whereas in a DNO scenario, you're a money manager of a small um, asset management firm. You know, it's you and one other person managing money. You're the directors and officers of that institution. You um, mismanage. You mismanage money. You advise your client to buy stock A. Stock A. You take a hundred thousand dollars and put it in stock A, and they lose fifty thousand dollars of their principal. It's a it's a, a very very um cl- the damages that they suffered are dollar figure relatable, so um it, it just allows for I mean a larger propensity especially in a public uh, corporation scenario for class action suits to evolve, um but even in a, a, a private uh, sense this, the the pain and suffering element is very um, finite. It's it's dollar specific. Yeah, and I think something that's important to note here is that um, given the, uh, on the private uh, DNO side, the uh, flexibility to uh, customize, the definition of a claim can also be customized and the exclusions associated with the policies such as professional services and um, et cetera, those can also be negotiated. So that being said, with the scenario that was just mapped out, you can also bundle the DNO in with other coverage modules, i.e. the EPLI, the fiduciary. Um, So there could be a very robust offering here. And to me, what's most effective or most important beyond Obviously, why the coverage is needed, because we can try to convince our customers all day long why they need something. They have to buy into that. But the other piece to that is you need to obtain data from them. In a lot of cases, that data is 
especially with these coverage lines, long, tedious applications asking for robust, excessive amounts of information. Um, in today's day and age, technology has really shaped things. And that being said, many carriers that offer DNO coverage, or for that matter, combined DNO, EPLI fiduciary offerings, are now um, short shortening their um, application process. I, I recently heard um, or read something on uh, RPS in particular, their DNO division, which is a very large wholesaler, but their DNO division actually has it down to a four-question online application, which will procure a bindable DNO quote. Um, the the coverage terms obviously are reviewable and again negotiable, but four questions, folks. So no longer can a customer not only say that they don't foresee a reason for the coverage, because now you've identified and pointed out, well, this is why you need it. These are your potential exposures. And again, not all of them, but some of them. And now that you have that buy-in, yeah, I can see why we need it. Procuring it, getting the information, getting the customer to actually provide an application completed and signed. Well, that's even shortened, um, uh, the, the turnaround time as well and getting them a quote. So you have a shorter application, or I should say you have a reason why they should buy it, a shorter application process, a quicker turnaround to provide them a bindable quote. And at the end of the day, you're just looking at a robust product offering, turning it around quickly at the customer's request. And another uh, important thing to note, uh, very important, is essentially what the DNO product allows for. Um, it allows for management ultimately to focus on managing managing the company uh, rather than managing uh, protract, protracted litigation risks. Yeah. So in conclusion, I think it's just best that we turn around and, and um, obviously state that whether publicly or privately held um, companies should maintain a DNO policy um, just for the simple fact of its robust offering or its broad coverage terms and um, protecting the entity, protecting it and its directors and officers. Um, I think, folks, that if you have any questions, um, you should obviously speak to your broker, or for that matter, if you are a broker or an agent, you can contact us at info at riskchannels.com. But again, DNO coverage is something that publicly traded companies should definitely be looking into. Um, and uh, and privately held organizations should undoubtedly be doing the same as well. Uh, folks, thanks for joining us this week. Uh, we'll definitely be back next week with another episode. Again, any questions, any uh, any suggestions, info at riskchannels.com, or you can uh, visit our agency-affiliated website at ASZ, A like Apple, S like Sam, Z like Zebra, international.com. Have a good one, folks. Talk to you next week.